You're listening to The Roofer Report. Tune in for exclusive interviews with roofing experts and insights from leaders who walk the walk. Grow with Roofer and your host, Pete McKendrick. All right, everybody, welcome back to The Roofer Podcast. I am your host, Pete McKendrick. And a little while back, we made a transition in the style of our podcast a little bit where we started to move away from talking about tech and talking about all the things around, all the tools needed to run your business. And we really started to focus on the core of running the business, right? And the things that you need to really focus on to make yourself successful and make your business successful and to build a team. And that leads right into our topic today and our guest, Corey Combs. Really excited to have you on, Corey. Corey is the owner of South Shore. I'll let him do a quick introduction of himself here and then dive into Corey's story a little bit and talk about building that team culture, right? That's really our topic for today. And I think it's one that's become very important in the industry, but also just in general with with anyone running a business. Corey, excited to have you. Glad you could come on. Yeah, thanks. And I was just thinking about this morning, actually, you and I met years ago, right? And so it's been it's interesting how, how things have changed. And it's I'm happy that uh, you're with Roofer. I love the product and that kept this relationship throughout the years. It's, it's funny. Really- it's funny to me. I wasn't sure if you remembered, but yeah, I was actually the sales rep that sold Corey on, was that your first CRM? Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah, yes, first, first CRM. CRM. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's funny. And that was, geez, now probably what, five, five years ago? Yeah, four or five years ago. Yep. Yeah. 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 So <laughs> very cool. It's funny. Yeah. That you remember uh, that. Yeah. It's funny. I was actually thinking the same thing this morning. I was like, man, Corey and I have known each other for a while. <laughs> yeah. And, and that dovetails a little bit into me and my company story that I was just starting my own company. I was working for another large remodeling company and I spent like three years planning the opening of my company, Florida. You have to have licensing and all of that stuff. I spent time studying, getting my licensing. I had, I had my general contractor's license in Florida, and then I also had my roofing license in Florida. And during that time, I really focused on reading books, figuring out how I wanted my company to be structured, and putting benchmarks in place to really give me a structure to help grow. Because when you start out, you're by yourself, basically, right? It was just me and an installation crew and... That was close to five years ago, and here we are now. Nice. Give us a little background on you. How did you get into roofing? Did you come from a contractor background? Did you grow up in it? You know, what's your story? Yeah, my first job at the ripe old age of 12 was cleaning up a construction site for a friend of my mom's who owned a framing company here in, in Tampa. And I come from a blue collar family. My dad worked on the railroad for his entire career. And so part of that was being involved in construction. We always did all of the projects around the house. So he kind of taught me some of the stuff about construction. And so I was always in construction and growing up, I I was not a great kid, man. I got addicted to drugs and construction was like the natural place that we went. And my, my first roofing job was in 1994, I worked on a tear off crew and The company had an interesting structure because in Florida, new construction was huge. That was, it was exploding and they had a tear off crew for re-roofs and then they had a dry-in crew for new construction. So I worked on that crew. 
So we're either tearing off and drying in, or we are just drying in. So I learned when I was the low guy, I learned how to work a tear off shovel real well and clean <laughs> up and all that stuff. And then I moved into shingling and I worked on, I worked at that company for close to eight years and learned how to shingle and it made good money. But then my family started to buy properties and do, do flips and buy rentals and all that stuff. And I was the construction guy, even though I didn't know anything but roofing. They brought me on and I kind of did all the rental prep and painting and patching, all that stuff. And yeah, I just kind of learned hands-on and I made, I really how I learned was making a lot of mistakes and doing things wrong. Yeah. And I had some good teachers throughout the years, but really how I learned was just messing stuff up, man. And then trying to figure out how to fix it. I did some contractor work for years and it was same thing. Like a lot of the best lessons I learned there were things that I made and said, oh, this ain't gonna work. <laughs> I just realized that I had epically failed and then figured out how to fix it from there. Yeah, yeah so <laughs> I totally get that. So you finally decide to go into roofing, right? You start your own roofing company. Tell us some of the challenges that you faced, even maybe before you even really got the company launched and started doing stuff. Like you said, three years of planning. There's a lot that goes into it, right? And I think a lot of people drastically underestimate what it takes to start a business just to get a business off the ground and then ultimately to run. Speak a little bit to like what you found is some of the biggest challenges with that. Yeah. One of the things that I feel really fortunate about is 2008, we had that epic crash. Construction was just non-existent. Flipping houses was non-existent. And I was really left without a job, right? And we lost, we pretty much lost everything. We were pretty invested in real estate. I was just starting to sober up at the time as I was going through that whole transition and situation. And it was really difficult. And I met a guy who I actually met him in the rooms at AA, which was really fortuitous. And what he did was he sold marketing packages to health clubs. And so he traveled all over the country and taught health clubs how to market their business and how to sell. And so that was my, like my first introduction into learning how to sell and how to do marketing and all of that stuff. And I worked with him for several years. I opened a business with him and I learned a lot on the business operations, a lot of how to sell, like really the fundamentals of sales he taught me. And I was like, I was their number one sales guy by a lot, like every year over year. And it gave me the confidence to, to open up a business with him. We fumbled through that. We did pretty well. The business is still in existence. He and I kind of had a falling out. And what happened was I got the confidence in understanding how to sell. And so when the market started to recover, I went to work for a big, a larger remodeling company at that time. This was 15, 16 years ago. They were doing $12 million, which was huge at the time, right? I learned how to sell remodeling and I learned how to structure my pitches and all of that stuff to be successful selling high-end. And we were the most expensive by far. I mean, we always walked in knowing we were going to be the most expensive. And so I learned a lot on how to sell. I got a lot of training. And what that company did was they really focused on being good at the fundamentals in terms of construction, understanding remodeling, like knowing the core competencies of the company, which was how to do remodeling. Right. And so we went to training all the time on that stuff. And I got a lot of good experience there. So when I was still working for them when I decided to open my own company and I was taking some of the stuff that they had taught me 
I learned how the business side of it worked. And I also learned some of the stuff that they did absolutely terrible, just right. But they were a good company. They were a successful company, but they did a lot of things really terribly. So sort of took that and I mapped out everything that worked for me. And then I mapped out everything that didn't work to make sure that I didn't make those mistakes. I'm just going to tell you, I still made some of those mistakes <laughs> running my own company, but I, it was an easier turnaround because I really had the experience in the industry and I really had the experience in sales and marketing and remodeling and in all of that different stuff. It really shortened my learning curve big time. It was just the planning, man. I think the planning made all the difference in the world. I really do. Yeah. It's interesting. I did a podcast a while back with Dave Sullivan. I don't know if you know him. He has his own podcast that he does and he was a contractor for years and he really focuses on the business plan aspect of it. Like just because you're starting a roofing company and not some company in another industry, the business plan still has to be done. It's still a very important part of things like what we talked about at the beginning of this, before we even started the podcast of, you know, figuring out what your core values are, figuring out what your mission statement is. What do you want to accomplish? Like all of these things, laying those out in the beginning rather than just kind of winging it and then trying to figure them out later. Like you said, it's difficult. It's difficult sometimes in the very beginning to write those things out and say like, this is what ultimately I want my company to be. Yeah, And it's going to evolve. It's going to change. But it's a very interesting podcast with Dave and talking about laying that groundwork and how important that planning time is to the success of your business. And uh, I think it's a piece that gets drastically overlooked because like you said, it's difficult, right? It's very difficult to come up with that stuff. Yeah. My, my, I think one of my biggest things was understanding that I had, or my ego thinking that I knew everything, right? Because I've been in the industry for so long. I was very successful and I really overlooked a lot of the things that were really important and kind of what we're going to talk about today is team culture and how to have a good place where people want to work and all of that different stuff. I focused on like sales, right? Cause that was, I'm like, that is the lifeblood of the business. If you don't have sales, you, you've got no fuel for the machine, right? That's just right. kind of logic. Right. But what you don't, I think what you don't realize is you know, what happens when you have something bad happen on a job, right? Do you have a plan in place? Do you have the wherewithal to take care of that stuff? Do you have the experience to take care of it? Do you have the processes in place to make sure that those things don't happen? And if they do, what's a really good way to take care of that stuff? And so those are the things that I really had to learn while I was operating my business. I knew that I wanted to knock it out of the park on the customer service side and on the sales side. But really like filling that in when you don't have that information is hard to do. And those are the things that you're going to learn when you're operating your business. Hopefully those are the things you're going to learn. Yeah. It's a great point. I think everybody goes into business like that. The only way I can be successful is to just sell. Right. And there's so many other pieces of that puzzle that initially you don't even think about because all you're thinking about is the bottom line, right? How do I, how am I going to put money in the account? I'm going to sell jobs. I'm just going to get out there and sell at all costs. And we're going to pound out production and go crazy here and try to get as many jobs through the, you know, through the funnel as we can. And uh, there are so many of those small pieces that get overlooked until it's almost like reactive, right? Until something happens. And then you're like, oh shit, we we didn't think of this. Right. (laughs) Right. So so I totally get that. No, I've been on some construction sites that were 
sketchy, right? And it's like, did we think this through? <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I totally get where you're coming from. So yeah. talk about when you started out, right? You're small. It was probably just you by yourself, right? Mm-hmm. For the most part. Yeah. And at what point did you realize like, hey, I'm going to need to add people to this? You know, and I'm sure that's like, I think that's one of the hardest things as a business owner to do is just get to the point where you're like, okay, I'm going to bring someone else in here to help me and to ha- I'm going to have to trust them with some responsibility. Cause I, when you build a business from scratch and it's your baby, like, I think it's one of the hardest things to come to grips with is letting go a little bit and allowing someone else to be part of it. Right. And have some responsibility in it. Yeah. Yeah. So my first year, and this was me doing absolutely everything except for the installs, right? So I had a crew that I worked with. So I was selling, I was doing final walkthroughs. I was doing QC on the roofing jobs. I was doing the material ordering. I was doing absolutely everything. And I did one and a half million dollars my first year, right? And it was really challenging. I literally worked all the time. And when I realized I needed to bring somebody on was when I, when things started to slip through the cracks, when I wasn't getting back to people with their, that wanted to do business with me and I wasn't getting back to them to bring them, bring them in and get the contract signed and all that stuff. I was like, Oh crap, I've got to bring somebody in. And of course I didn't bring in an admin, right? I brought in a salesperson, right? I'm like, <laughs> we need to sell more. Right? That was the mindset. So I brought in a salesperson and he actually, he brought in another guy because my marketing was starting to do so well. And that was, we were getting referrals because we were doing a good job and all that stuff. And so I had to get so many leads that I'm, I was booked out two, three weeks sometimes and people won't wait. They just, they won't wait. Right. So I brought in a couple sales guys and this is a really important distinction. I don't do insurance work. I've never done insurance work. In the state of Florida, everybody thinks restoration contracts. I've always been 100% retail with the exception of one of the sales guys I brought in. He came from a restoration background and that's all he wanted to do. And I could, we could talk, we could have a whole other podcast about that, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the distinction here is I do all retail. And so I brought in these couple sales guys. I trained them. I got them going, which by the way, one of them is my sales manager now. And I have seven sales guys. He's my sales manager and he is a monster selling to selling over $2 million a year, just a beast of a sales guy. And he's not from the roofing industry. He sold laser spine surgeries, right? And I taught him, (laughs) yeah, I taught him, I groomed him. He did what I told him to do and just crushed it. Right. So I brought the salespeople on and then I figured out I needed to bring on an admin to do the permitting and to do all that stuff. And it just kind of grew organically. And now I've got, I've got seven sales guys. I've got a sales manager. I've got a project manager. I've got an admin and I've got four in-house crews that we keep busy and a couple sub crews. No, that's not true. I have five, six, I have six in-house crews. And then I have a sub crew that does all of our metal. Yeah, that's crazy. Looking back on it, would you have hired differently and would you have hired sooner maybe than waiting until it was a situation where, like you said, like you're just stuff started falling through the cracks. Like, I think it's a tough call as a business owner as to like when to hire those people and who to hire. Mm-hmm. Looking back on it now, would you have tried to be more proactive potentially? 
I'd love to say yes, but I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> In reality, right? <laughs> yeah. Earlier, you were talking about the podcast you did. Part of what you talked about was the business plan and understand part of a business plan is really understanding your numbers, right? Yeah. Um, understanding your break-even point, understanding your profitability, understanding all that stuff. And let's be honest, we're construction guys. We're not finance guys. We're not business guys. So we have to learn that stuff. And just now in where we are, have I really started to understand the absolute essential nature of knowing your numbers at a granular level. And part of that is really understand what your net profit is every month, understand what your overhead is every month and being able to take that information and say, okay, I can afford to hire somebody here. Right. I didn't have that in place. So I did but not at a granular level. So I wouldn't have been able to look at, hey, I have some money here to hire somebody. I'm a hard lesson kind of guy, man. I got to feel the pain before I do something different. I'd like to think that yes, knowing better, I'd do something different, but I'm not sure that would be the case. Yeah, it's funny that you touched on that. Be like understanding your finances at a granular level. When I was on the CRM side, it was amazing to me when I first started there, we would get these guys on and we would talk to them about their process and you would get down to the invoicing and collecting part of the conversation. And you would say to them, what's your profit and loss statement look like? Like, how are you guys tracking net profit? What kind of net profit are you guys getting on jobs? And the like, answers what? blew my mind. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like collect a check. And then I pay for my materials and I pay my crew and whatever's left over is my profit. And I said, well, you don't know your profit before you start. Like, what if the, what if you just did this whole job and you operated at a loss? And they're like, right. it happens. It happens sometimes. But it's like, wow. Like I realized how, like you said, I think it's a lesson that when we come from a construction background, we don't think of these things, right? Like we don't think like, oh, I need to know upfront whether this job's going to be profitable. We're just like, Hey, I won that job. Let's go do it. Right. And then, right. and then come to find out we made nothing on it. Right? Yeah. It always blew my mind with that. Like I remember this distinctly remember this conversation. These two young guys started a roofing companies. They were in like Colorado or something like that. I'm talking young. Like they sounded like they were teenagers on the phone. And this guy said, I said to him, how do you invoice the customer? And he just like went, the conversation just went dead. And I said, how do you, what, like, how do you tell the customer what they owe you? And he said, when I come down off the roof, when I'm done, I knock on the front door and I tell them how much it is. And they write me a check. I said, so you don't even give them an invoice or anything. And he's like, no, I just tell them how much the repair or the re-roof cost. And I was like, wow. Like I was floored at like how far some of these guys needed to come. And, and I think a lot of that has to do with like, like you said, just kind of a lack of preparation up front. And then yep. them realizing as they get into it, like, oops, we didn't even think of how we're going to write an invoice here, right? Yeah. Like we're just literally handing somebody a number on a napkin, right? So it's, it's crazy to me that it really blew me away, like how much was missing from a business standpoint for these guys, right? And a lot of it is just a lack of knowledge on their point. And a lot of it is just a lack of education, right? Like nobody's really saying to these guys, like, these are the things that you really need to do if you want this business to be successful. But it, it really was an eye opener for me. Yeah, it's, and I'll touch on this. I don't, I'm not going to go too far in the weeds with this, but I think that's one of the biggest issues that I have. One of those sales guys that came to work for me, he was in the restoration business and they, their, their model is, okay, we're going to do the roof for whatever the proceeds are from the insurance company. Right. 
And what that is, what you can get from the insurance company, they don't understand how to actually estimate the job and what goes in, what actually goes into the job. And so he would always say to me, because we, my, the way that we estimate out, we have every single thing that you need to build that roof in the estimate so that like when we're done with the job, if we were short of a roof boot, we'll know it and we'll know that $17 or whatever, we were deficient on that, right? So we have our estimating down to a granular level. And the estimating at a per square, which a lot of people do, is the trap that they get into because sometimes you have a complexity or you have some things that need to go on the roof that nobody really thinks about because they haven't dissected that to actually do the estimate. So that's how I teach my guys how to estimate. Like what is actually needed to go on the roof and you're going to you're going to actually build that roof with your estimate so that you know exactly what goes into it, right? And then we're going to look at the profit margin on that. And we're going to look at, okay, are we going to make money on this job? Are we not if everything goes according to plan, right? And so we really get, we really get to the granular level. And I teach my guys how to do that because they need to know, look, their paycheck is dependent on that, right? If the job's profitable or not. So it would be a disservice for me to not teach them how to do that so that they are aware and they know how to actually do that. And when we do a post-mortem on the job and say, hey, this wasn't profitable, we can go back and we can pinpoint exactly what happened and show them where they made the mistake, right? Yeah, it's a great point because I know one of the things that when we would talk about the financials on the CRM side, we would specifically talk about tracking costs of a job, right? And being able to granularly see what the cost was. And I would say to guys, like, how do you even know if your sales guy is estimating that job correctly up front, if you're not tracking your costs on the back end and you can compare the numbers, right? At the end of the day. Like you I think when I think it's more standardized now because a lot more guys are using tech and it makes life a little easier. But in the beginning, there's a lot of subjective estimating, right? Like you and I yeah. could go out, look at a roof and estimate it completely differently, like hundreds of dollars different potentially. How do we know that guy is accurately estimating that roof? And I think it's a great point. Like you're using it as an education tool to say to your guys like, Hey, we missed by this much of what we should have profited on this job. And because we're granular, this is why, right? Yeah. And so now they've learned. So next time we don't make that mistake as opposed to just going back to them and being like, you know, what the hell? Like we thought we were going to make money off this job and we didn't, right? right? And not really having an answer as to why. It speaks to why that's so important. Yeah. And, and I'll go even a little bit further. I see on these roofing groups all the time, you have people, oh, I need a roofing crew. I need a roofing crew. I need a roofing crew. And it's, I know it's because they haven't been profitable on the on their jobs. They don't know why. They blame the installers or the installers are throwing away material, whatever it is, Right. And they're constantly going through crews. And that's another thing that I do differently in my company. I don't subcontract out unless it's a specialty product. Like my, my standing seam metal, I have a guy that manufactures and installs our panels, but everything else we do in house. Right. And the reason I do that is I want to make sure that we keep quality for our customers. I want to keep continuity with the guys that do the install so that they're getting paid. They make good money. But also everybody knows what to expect. Everybody knows that there's some comfort 
in the fact that they know that they're going to get paid every Friday. They're not going to have any issues. If something happens, they know I have their back. We're going to take care of it. All these different things that I think a lot of times these roofing company owners miss is if you don't have great labor and you don't take care of your great labor, then you're going to have a really tough time running your business. And you're always going to be looking for new people. And that's where you run into problems. That's where you let down the customer. That's where you don't get paid. And that's where you go out of business, right? So it's all starts with the estimate, man. Every single bit of it, knowing your numbers, being profitable and being able to pay everybody so that you can knock it out of the park for the customer. If you don't know your numbers, you can't do it. That's and the crew thing is a great point because I remember I had a good friend. I was a GC in Florida before I went into the SaaS side of the business, right? And we used subcontractors for like the skilled things. We were we did a lot of inter like interior stuff. Like I had we had carpenters and everything in house, but like our electrician and our plumber, those guys were subbed out, right? Yeah. And it was t like it was probably one of the hardest things to do as a GC was to find subcontractors that you trusted and you could rely on. Yeah. Right. And, and it was funny cause I had a buddy who was in Georgia and he was a general contractor as well. And he swore by it. Right. So we would constantly get in this argument because he was like, Oh no, all of my guys are subs because it keeps my overhead super low and my profits higher because I don't have my own guys. Right. Which I lean more towards what you do. Right. I think that having those guys on staff is huge because they become more loyal, they become more dependable, they become, you can manage the quality better, right? And you're not working around their schedule and working around the fact that they don't show up. And like you said, like it's the quickest way to let a customer down is to say like, yeah, the electrician will be here on this day. And then he, he calls you 20 minutes before he's supposed to be there and says, oh, nope, hung up someplace else because I have, I'm working for three other GC. And that used to happen to us all the time. But now yep. when we were building houses, it everybody's contingent on everybody else. Right. And it would, that one guy not showing up could set back another subcontractor, which yeah. could just snowball into being like a week delay. Right. So it was a nightmare dealing with subs at that point. I can totally understand and appreciate the fact of having those in, inside crews and being able to really manage that. Yeah. I'm a GC license here too. And so we do some stuff like we do some window installs and we do some deck and balcony builds and all that stuff. And this is going to go back to what we were just talking about and being profitable and understanding your numbers. I'm pretty, and the, the other thing that I did really right was I was very conservative with my money, meaning I took a small paycheck and I put everything else back into the business so that I had some cash available so that when I use a, when I use a sub or I have to have somebody come in and do something, one of the biggest mistakes that GCs make is they make their subcontractors wait for their money. And if you do that, they're never going to be in any hurry to help you out, right? So what I did was, because I've been on the install side, right? I understand, like, you do your job, you right. want to get paid, right? So I, I would go and I would check their work. I would make sure everything's done right. And then I would pay them. I pay them immediately, right? I write them a check as soon as the job's done, even if I haven't been paid. And I do that because if I don't have these guys available, I can't do, I just can't do, I can't do my work. It's a yeah. really simple concept that a lot of people don't just don't right. get. <laughs> I mean, right. No, yeah. I completely understand. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the truth. Yeah. I mean, it, I've seen it. I've seen it happen. I worked for a construction company where the guy would do exactly that. 
he would tell these guys like, yeah, I need you to go over here and fix some sheetrock or something like that. And then, you know, they're coming to the job site asking us for money. And we're is, like, that's yeah. not a, that's the owner. And then they're like, the owner won't answer his phone. And you, of course not. He doesn't want to pay you. <laughs> He's waiting until he gets paid till he gets a draw so he could pay you. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I, I totally get that. But, but I think this parlays really good into like the conversation around company culture, right? Like, I think you guys have really nailed it at South Shore. And I think that one of the things is, like you said, having those internal crews, like bringing those guys in as part of the team rather than them just being subs, I think works towards that, right? Like it definitely is building a bigger team aspect, you know, and I guess early on, like you said, you started hiring people, you got some sales guys in there. At what point did you realize, like, I'm sure there's, I know I ran my own business and you hire people and you're driving to make sales and forget about the people sometimes, right? And it's like, you make that mistake early on. And at what point did you realize like, wow, the people are just as, if not more important than the sales and the production part of it? Yeah. So I've always known that, man, being a former installer and look, let's not, there's no bones about it. Roofing in Florida during the summer sucks. I mean, it... (laughs) tough, man. And I always looked at it from, Hey man, I I need these guys, right? Just me naturally coming up through the ranks and being being the new guy and just getting shit on the job site all the time because I'm new. And I always looked at it like, man, I don't want, I don't want that type of environment, right? I don't want the, I don't want the type of environment where people now we bust balls. I'm not going to say we don't, right? But I don't want the type of environment where there's any type of negativity. And so I also know that I need these installers. I'm going to give you a little secret. How I find my crews is I go out and I look at other roofing crews and watch the job they do and see how they're managed. And I go and talk to the lead guy and ask him if they're happy, right? And I ask them if if they're taken care of, if they're making the money that they want to make. And invariably almost every single one of them says no. Right. Yeah. I believe. And so now that the crews that I have came to me because they, people talk, right. People in the industry talk sure. and they're like, man, this guy treats us good. I'm about to take my, the, one of the crews that I've had the longest, we're going to go do a job over in Orlando. And then I'm taking all seven of them to Disney world. Cause they've never been right. So these guys, they bust their ass and they do a job that, a lot of people don't want to do. So if you don't take care of them, then it's going to be like pulling teeth to get them to fix something or to, to show up on time, all those different things. So I knew right away that the people on the team, we can't, I can't do this without the other team members. There's just, I can't do it. Yeah. Right. So I don't have the hubris to act like I'm better than any of them. And so <laughs> One of the one of the things on when you and I were talking about this b- before we started recording, I was challenged by somebody to write down like the core values of the company, the mission, all of that stuff. And we're we're four and a half years in, and I've never done that. And it was extremely challenging. But one of the things that came about was two things. One, I realized that since day one, like I've really focused on making the people that I bring in feel a part of the team and really collaborate with them and listen to them 
to try to make sure that they're given the resources and training so that they can knock it out of the park with their job, right? But the other thing that I realized was like, I will always roll up my sleeves with these guys and girls to make sure that we do things the right way. And if there are issues, nobody points fingers. It's like, hey, how do we stay solution-minded here and make sure we solve the issue? And further, that we don't get into this situation again. And I'm in the trenches with them, solving this stuff, dealing with the issues, so they know 100% that I've got their back. Yeah, and I think that's a huge insight right there, is I think that rather than the accusations, right? Let's just solve this as a team, but more importantly, let's use it as a learning experience, right? Let's educate everybody involved so that we don't have this happen again, right? And I think that's the piece that so often gets, seems to get overlooked, right? Like, it's just like, oh crap, we made a mistake, right? Like, let's scramble and fix it, but we don't take the time to say like, okay, why did this happen? How do we prevent it from happening next time so that everybody's aware of it and use it, turn it into an education piece rather than just a, like you said, pointing a finger or accusing somebody of making a mistake because we're all going to do it. Anybody that's ever been on a job site's made a mistake, right? Or a bunch of them. I know I have as well. It happens to all of us, but uh, yeah, it's a great point. I guess talk a little bit about how you guys build or maintain that company culture, right? And what is important to you guys from a core value level for your employees? Hmm. I think one of the biggest mistakes that people tend to make is there's a big difference between diagnosing and blaming, right? And at the end of the day, I take responsibility for everything that happens in my company, right? I'm the leader, I'm the owner. And so if there's a failure somewhere, I have to look at it from the vantage point of, okay, where did I not set this person up for success? Where are the holes that I need to help fill to make sure that this doesn't happen again? And look, if you as a leader go to somebody, point the finger at them and say, you didn't do your job and this was the result, they're going to feel next time something happens, they're not going to want to bring that up. They're going to try to hide it. They're going to try to minimize it or whatever it is. If you say, hey, listen, here's what happened. Here was the result. What can we do? What can I do to set you up better so that this doesn't happen again? What can I give you? What resources can I give you? Or where can we fill this hole so that as a company, we don't have this happen again? They're going to feel supported. They're going to feel like, okay, I really have somebody that's looking out for my best interest, right? And because they know that I'm looking out for their best interest. And it's a lot of times people think, okay, if you just pay people, they'll feel valued. That's not the case at all right? What makes people feel valued is you understanding their situation, you putting yourself in their shoes, right? Look, my, everybody in a construction company has a very difficult job. This is a challenging industry. You got to have thick skin. You can knock it out of the park and you still get terrible asshole customers. And it just happens, right? right? And if you take the tact with them, like, listen, we're in this together. I understand your situation. I, I empathize with you. I want to make sure that you know that I support you 100% across the board. 
and you actually behave that way towards them, they feel valued. They feel listened to. When something goes wrong, you say, hey, help me understand this from your perspective. What happened? Right. And then they tell you and you listen to them and you say, "Okay." now I'm not always going to agree with them. Right. Sometimes they did make a mistake and it was just their error and that it happens. Right. But I'm going to allow them to tell me how they view it from their perspective so that I can make sure that if there is something that I can do better as the owner or one of my managers can do better, then we're going to do that. Right. We're not going to do some knee jerk reactive stuff where I'm going to put some overreaching policies in place to plug this hole of something that never happens. It's this rarity. Right. Which happens also. Okay. No. And the next piece of that is, and I think the final piece of that is, is we have a status meeting every morning, every Monday morning, right? Where my managers and I, we sit down and we talk about what's going on. We talk about the good, we talk about the bad, we talk about the we're not really sure. And we use data and we use metrics to really look at what we're talking about because feelings ain't fact. <laughs> They're just not, right? Yeah. You could feel really great about what's going on and you look at your numbers and you're like, holy crap, that's not really that great, Yeah. <laughs> right? Or you can feel really bad about something and then you look at the numbers and you're like, ah, oh, this actually isn't so bad, right? So. I think the totality of that is really where you can al allow your, your company and your people to have autonomy. And when you allow them to have autonomy and own their position, you really create a great culture. Yeah, I like that. One thing that I have found and one thing that, you know, when I worked for the CRM and I would see all of these guys' workflows... And one of the things that I noticed is, and maybe you can speak to this. I don't know if you're John Brosh, but John Brosh made a comment to me yeah. one day. We were talking about people, like we were guy. talking about his people. And he said, he said, yeah, there's going to, you know, when you hire new people, you don't necessarily trust right away that they can do the job. Like you, they got to prove it and all this stuff. He said, but the one thing that I do so that I don't have to trust the people is that I trust the process. He's like, I build a process that I trust people yes. can be successful in. Right. And I thought it was like probably one of the most <laughs> like the, one of the greatest comments that anyone's ever made to me is like he built a process that he 100 percent believes in that he's yeah. bought into that yeah. he completely trusts to operate. And then he just plugs the people in to the process and it makes their life easier, I think, too. Right. Like, I think it's much easier for you to give someone autonomy and for them to run with a spot when you have a process in place that you trust. Right. Yeah. You what do you think? How, what's your feeling on that? If I have one takeaway from this podcast, I think what Jonathan said would be it, right? You have to have a process in place. And this really goes to team culture because when people feel well-trained and confident, they know what's expected of them and they have the comfort and confidence to do that. They're going to knock it out of the park with their job. Right. I cringe all the time when I hear these company owners and they're, they're just destroying their salespeople, right? And they're like, these guys are awful. They're scumbags or this, that, and the other. It's like, yeah. okay, you didn't train them at all. You basically acted like a pimp, threw them out <laughs> on the street, go get me some money and some jobs and bring yeah. me back to back, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. And then when they weren't successful at that, you're like, these guys are terrible. Jonathan hit the nail on the head, man. You've got to have a process in place 
to set people up for success, man. You cannot have a good team culture unless you have that in place. You can take, people can make money. You can take them to on trips. You can do all of that stuff. But if you don't have a process in place where people can thrive and understand their role, how to do it and be successful, you can forget it. It's not going to happen. Yeah. And you made a good comment. And it's funny because it actually is the exact same comment that Ty Backer made to me in another podcast is the money is not everything, right? Like at some point, just giving people raises and just paying them better is not going to be enough for them. And so what else are, do you guys do at South Shore to kind of help promote that company culture and keep these people engaged? Like you said, at some point, the money is not everything. What other things have you guys done there? Training, I think, like you said, educating and training, I think is a big one. But what are some of the other things that you guys have found successful? So one of our other core values, right, is work-life balance. I don't think a lot of roofing companies really look at the fact that we want hustlers, right? Especially on the sales side. The problem with hustlers, and I fell into this myself, is like we will just hustle and grind and hustle and grind because we're we want to make money, we want to be successful. And then all of a sudden you wake up one day and you're burned out, right? Yeah. And you're angry, everybody's getting on your nerves, all of the customers are terrible, your all your leads suck, you know what I mean? <laughs> and the other part of developing that culture is like I'm giving everybody off Labor Day paid. Everybody gets Labor Day paid off, right? Because I want them to go out and enjoy their family. I tell my sales guys, listen, you have autonomy over your calendar, right? You control when you take appointments. One of the other things that I do that people tell me I'm crazy is I don't do weekend or night appointments. I will not schedule a weekend or night appointment for my sales guys. Now, if they want to take them, they can. But I learned early on when I was working for that remodeling company that if it's important to people and people really see value in what you're bringing, they'll make time to meet with you, right? So I really try to understand how, how my sales team operates and how my admin team operates and how my installers operate. And I try to give them the benefit and value of being able to take time off and being able to make good money without having to kill yourself. I think that's the other part of the team culture, man, is I'm re- I really believe in work-life balance. I really do. And I give paid holidays off. I let people take off early and I don't, I don't clock them out. All of those different things. If my crews need something, I'll either lend them money or I'll give them money. Just things like that really help them see that I support them and I understand their side of things and really make sure that I take care of them. Yeah, I appreciate that. I think that's a piece that's very overlooked, right? I think we just think of these guys as like, hey, we just need them to get the job done a lot of times. And we forget that they have a life outside of the job, right? And and ultimately, hopefully, like I'm sure the whole reason that you started this company was so that you could eventually have a life outside of this job, right? And and have some quality of life. I think that's a piece that gets overlooked when we look at employees. I know like at Roofer, that's one of the things that they've done extremely well at is that work-life balance. And they always are continuing to strive to do better for the, for our group there. And I applaud them for that. And I applaud you guys for doing the same thing. So what's next for South Shore Roofing? Like, where do you guys go from here? I'm, I've got everything running pretty well on the residential side, right? So what's next for us is, I think we've got things dialed in pretty well on the residential side. We went from 1.5 million to, we'll probably do about 10, 10 million this year all retail. 
And I, for some reason, because I'm a glutton for punishment, have decided that I want to really develop the commercial side. So I, I had a meeting with a guy on Monday who actually sold his own business, guy I went to high school with. He understands the commercial side really well. He's been in commercial construction for a long time. So he and I are trying to work out a deal to bring him on so that we can really develop the maintenance and the repair side for commercial and really develop that. So I'm thinking about 2023, that's going to be a, a heavy focus of mine to get the maintenance and service side on the commercial end going. Nice. One thing I wanted to ask you is early on when you started, I think one of the biggest mistakes that a lot of roofing companies make, and it's funny, it came up in the last podcast I did with Luke from Company Cam, is because one of the things that I applaud Company Cam for as a company is the fact that they've stayed so hyper-focused on just their little piece, right? And they've just become fantastic yes. at it. But yes. I think early on, you did the same thing, right? Like, I think that you didn't really diversify. You just were a roofer, right? Like you didn't really take yeah. on a lot of other stuff. And I think that's a trap that's so easy to fall into because it's like, oh, I really need to get my windows replaced. Well, we're here. We could do that, right? <laughs> like, And it's like, I think we start to take on too many things. Like, I know I worked with one company that essentially it was a roofing company, but they were, they had guys on staff that would do drywall work. If the roof leaked, they would send somebody inside. And I was like, you guys are spread all over the place. Right. Yes. And so I think, speak a little bit to that. Like what made you make the decision to just stay like, let's stay hyper-focused, like even the retail model, right? Like you stayed with retail. You didn't try to go too much too early. Right. And be an insurance guy, be a retail guy and all spread yourself out or take on all those other things. It sounds like now you guys have kind of diversified into some of that other stuff. How long yeah. did you guys wait before you started to do that? Two years, two years, two. I waited two years. And Florida is unique because it's not unique. Florida has, you have to have specific licensing for things, right? You have to have your GC license. You have to have your electrician's license. You have to have your specific roofing license, all that stuff. And I'm gonna give you a really long winded answer to that question, okay? So bear <laughs> with me. I, I used to get really annoyed because I've been in the industry for so long. I used to get really annoyed at what was happening in the roofing industry, mainly through social media, right? I'm looking at a lot of these new people that are coming in and they're telling people how to run their businesses and they're telling people how to do sales and they're telling people to do X, Y, and Z and diversify and basically make sure you have all these streams of income and all this stuff. And I used to like just blast people out in these groups and call out these coaches and all this stuff. And the result was I was just angry and I didn't listen to anybody. Right. <laughs> and so Mike Stearns from, from day one has been really instrumental in, in helping me grow my business. And he had met Dave Carroll, uh, who I have a, a, an extreme amount of, respect for because what he's done with his business has been amazing. Incredible. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really helped. It's really helped me in my business. And he, they met at a conference one day and my name came up and he was, and we don't know each other, Dave and I. And, and he said to Mike, he's like, yeah, that dude's really angry. Right. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and Mike told me about it and, and I was like, holy shit, man, that's how people see me. And so I reached out to Dave and I said, you know what, man, I really appreciate you saying that, even though we don't know each other, because it really helped me realize how people viewed me and really the vantage point I was taking in terms of listening to other people, right? 
So I said, I got to stop that. I need to be open-minded and I need to listen to some of these people because even if they're new, they might have something of value for me so that I can hear. Turns out I was, I was listening to a podcast one day and one of the guys was just talking about like sticking to our core competencies, right? And what does that look like? And even though most of what he was saying I didn't agree with, he did talk about like people make the mistake of like thinking that sticking to your core competencies are, is just sticking to one thing, right? And I was like, man, I've, I've been, I, I know siding really well. I know home services really well because I came from the remodeling space. I know roofing really well. So I think I can set things up to diversify the work that we do, but still stick to my core competencies. Right. And so I thought about that and I kind of mapped it out. And now we do quite a bit of siding now, actually. And we're this year, we've become a preferred installer through James Hardy and got those designations and accreditations and all those different things. And so my point is, is that I agree with company camp, which is an amazing piece of technology. I'm so glad that they do it. Roofer, Roofer is an amazing piece of technology, <laughs> right? And I've been with Roofer since day one. I've, I've done their, I've done, I've used every product that Roofer's had, man. <laughs> so Roofer can kind of speak to kind of stick into your core competencies and the learning and the growth and all that stuff. And so anyway, point being two, year two, I decided to start taking on some additional work and there's been some bumps and bruises along the way, but I'm sticking to my core competencies, which is exteriors. Right. I've decided we focus on exteriors. We do roofing, siding, windows. That's it. Right. Uh, Cause I've taken on some jobs and I've lost my ass on them. Right. Even though I know how to do them. <laughs> right. I didn't have the team members in place and all that different stuff. And what I can say about this is be open-minded, listen to everyone, understand that you're not going to agree with them. Understand that, you know, that there are people that are new to the industry that are going to have some valuable things to say. And it's up to me to not be that grumpy, stubborn, know-it-all, <laughs> right? To not listen and maybe consider some of the things that other people in the industry have said. And so that's really changed. That really changed the trajectory of the company. And it really changed the trajectory of my mindset when it comes into relation of like listening to people and considering what people have to say. And I think more importantly, what I've done is tried to help and try to maybe give people a different perspective instead of being an asshole and blast people, right? <laughs> yeah. So that, I know that was a long-winded question or answer to the oh, question. Good. Yeah. good answer. Yeah. <laughs> no, it definitely was a great answer to that question. Man, I really appreciate you coming on. A lot of great insight, a great story there. And thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah. Thanks for asking me, Pete, man. This was great. I'm glad we finally got to do this. I know we've been kicking it around for a while, but yeah, it was really great, man. I appreciate it. Cool. All right, man. Thanks. Hopefully everybody got some really great stuff out of that and we will see you next time on the Roofer Podcast.